Business Growth Show is sponsored by Leadfeeder by Dealfront. Most of us B2B companies invest a ton into ads, content, and marketing, all to get prospects onto our websites. But you probably know already, on average, just 2% of those hard-earned visitors are gonna convert into leads and leave their contact information. That means a whopping 98% of visitors are vanishing, never to be seen again. Leadfeeder fixes that problem. With Leadfeeder, you can identify the B2B companies that visit your website, add them to your CRM, and empower your sales team to strike warm conversations with dream clients. Stop missing out on website opportunities and turn page views into pipeline. Grab a 14-day free trial of Leadfeeder at leadfeeder.com. That's leadfeeder.com or visit the link in the description below. And welcome back to a fresh episode of Business Growth Show. I'm your host, Sam Dunning. And if you want to check out my week daily B2B marketing email tips, podcasts, playbooks, or whenever you're ready to apply to work with me, head over to samdunning.org. Today, I'm joined by a special returning guest. We've got Sir Daryl Prail. Daryl, welcome to the show, sir. How are we doing? Sam, thank you for having me. I am thrilled to be here. And I, damn it, I am a returning guest. And uh, so I'm excited about that. By the way, I mean, for those, I have to, I gave Sam a compliment before we started. Doesn't his camera look stunning? Like that man looks like quality. He is high <laughs> red. Look at him. He is like pristine. How you keeping, Sam? Doing good, man. It's all the lens. It's all the lighting. It's it's, it's none me. But uh, I'm I, glad to have you back, man. Likewise, likewise. You keep it okay? Doing well. Doing well. Mm-hmm. Looking forward to to the topic because we're going to be providing something hopefully that's very timely, very relevant, and actionable. We're going to be chatting about how B two B marketers, B two B execs, can become layoff proof in the current climate how you can survive the recession. I think it's super timely, especially with so many tech companies up against it. Hearing of so many friends, marketers, execs, I know you're the same, Daryl, that have been laid off. Um, so hopefully we're going to share some tips and some ideas. So that is not going to be an issue for you if you're watching or tuning in. Um, so let's get straight to it. Why do you feel that right now, Daryl, so many um, B2B tech companies are laying off marketers and execs. And for introduction, I didn't say actually at the time of recording, Daryl's the CMO over at Agora Pulse. So he's right in the heat of what's going on. So why do you feel that this is such an issue right now, Daryl? Oh my goodness. Uh, well, uh, see, you may have noticed, Sam, I know you're you're a young lad. I've got Ish. lots of white hair. You don't. That it's means coming. I've been, yes, you're a handsome lad. I'm I am on the other side of that hill. And I've been through this cycle, this economic cycle, several times before. And it's the classic rise and fall of the economy. I mean, in in a simplistic form, when times are good, it's growth at all costs. We don't care if you lose money. Just go raise another 50, go raise another 100 million, and just keep on raising money as much as you can. Growth, 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 get market share. And then the economy goes in the crapper. And then the first thing that everything happens in the economy goes in the crapper is all your customers stop buying because they're unsure so they're saving their money and now all of a sudden deals are hard to come by and all of a sudden you're bleeding too much money and it becomes incredibly difficult to go raise more money because it's too risky so now we go from growth at all costs to we have to be EBITDA positive we have to physically save money 
And often the only way to be EBITDA positive, actually, and for those who don't know, EBITDA, earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, amortization, basically it means you're, you're not losing money, right? Mm-hmm. Um, is is you got to cut your money. You got to cut your spend. And there's only two ways to cut, cut money, in, in, in a, especially in a tech company. One is reduce staff, salary costs. The second is when it relates to marketing specifically, reduce program spend, all that money you spend on trade shows or on pay-per-click or, you know, hire consultants, et cetera. So, uh, and people tend to do a couple of things. You see this happen every single time. If you look around in the layoffs right now, marketers, and this is totally a subjective statement, are getting disproportionately hit. I mean, so is sales. Sales and marketing revenue people are getting hit because if you're not driving revenue, then you're an expense and they're going to boot you out of there. Um, But marketers get hit first because they start not with people. Nobody likes to let people go. They start with reducing the programs and the budgets. And, and if I have a less, if I have a smaller budget, I don't need the same size marketing team, so I'll let them go too. And then if that doesn't stop the bleeding, now I'm going into sales and everything else. But that's why it is. It's as simple as that. If everybody would just start spending money again willy-nilly, then layoffs would stop. And the funny part is, I actually told my team over a year ago, I bet you it was like 15 months ago, we were, it was uh, early summer of 2022, and we had a staff meeting in my marketing team. I have 40 people roughly. And I said, we're about to hit a really rough spot in the economy. If I were you, I would get your LinkedIn profile up to shape. I would make sure your resume is up to shape. I would make sure you're networking like crazy um, because you never know what's going to happen. And they're like, well, are you saying, Daryl, there's layoffs coming? Not saying that. There are no layoffs coming. I've just been here before. Mm-hmm. And then they were all scared. I said, well, don't be scared. You should always be this way anyway. You should be ready for it. But the reality is, it, I, you know, I saw it. It's happening. It sucks. And I am seeing so many incredible, incredible people on the market now simply because of layoffs, nothing to do with them or their performance. A couple of quick ones before we dive into kind of what execs and marketers in the B2B space can do to combat this. But in your opinion, what do you think was the main cause? Because I know damn well as well, come 2020, 2021, funding was being given out like crazy. Yep. B-tech companies especially were splashing cash like mad on all sorts events sponsorships ad spend whatever it might be influences yep whereas these days when you talk to these same companies they're so much tighter with their cash rightly so with what's going on what do you think was the main tipping point i mean it was in, uh, the main tipping point oh, geez. <laughs> there, there's a there's a how do i put this there's a delay right so inflation you know post-covid you know you had the huge issue of uh, inflation started going crazy around the road there was no um I put this, there was no supplies. So people started, they weren't able to meet the, the orders. So then prices started going up and it just cycles. Prices goes up, but nobody wants to raise their prices because they'll lose their customers. And what you end up happening is you have a couple things happen. You have one, um, a realization that in any one category, pick a category, maybe it's sales engagement. You have or maybe it's CRM, right? Um, or maybe it's finance, or maybe it's HR. Pick any kind of category. You have one or two leaders. So like in CRM, you kind of have Salesforce, and you can then you might have HubSpot, right? Sure. Um, in sales engagement, you might have outreach. You might have sales law. You get the idea. There's always two category leaders. In, in soda, cola, there's Coke, and there's Pepsi, and, and then, then there's everybody else. So suddenly when the economy gets uncertain, you have people pulling back the knobs, and, and reducing their spending a little bit. And then people are trying to see, well, is this just momentary? Is this a, is it going to rebound? So it takes like six months to figure out, oh, this is a long-term thing or a short-term blip. 
The next thing you have is then they have to go, well, what do I need to do to, to, to reduce spend? And what tends to happen is they tend to do it. They should know better. They should do one big cut at once. We're going to cut 30% of the workforce. And instead they do, they do the salami technique. We're going to cut 5%. Then we're going to cut 5%. Then we're going to cut 5%. Then we're going to cut 5%. And that's what you see. I saw a friend of mine the other day sent me a, a, a note. She says, it happened. I got laid off. I made it to the fourth round. That's a problem. When they make it to the fourth round. The company was irresponsible. But nobody likes to let people go. And then for those same companies that raise a boatload of money, now the venture capitalists, the VCs, the investors are exerting massive, massive massive pressure to return to EBITDA positive because they're trying to protect their portfolio. So that's what's happening. Shit flows down. You see it in the CEOs and they're, they're applying it down. It, you, that's why it takes time. That's why I called this 15 months ago. You could see it was going to happen, but it takes time because they're always doing just, the, you know, is this enough? Is this enough? Is this enough? It is what it is. You've been on both sides of it, right? Because yeah. you're a CMO. Um, like we often, especially scrolling in the LinkedIn feed, we'll see straight from the execs. And of course I feel for them, especially marketers, sellers, whatever their role is. And they've been at the front end of it because they've been in a round of layoffs. So of course we sympathize with them, but at the same time, what is, what is it like as an exec that's actually got to do the firing? I've got to be involved in the layoffs because I guess a couple of things, one emotionally, but then two. Do, do companies typically give these employees kind of big payouts or is it a case of they just get harsh cut? Because I'm trying to look at it from both angles. So I'm not just saying, yeah, it's really harsh on the execs, on, sorry, on the um, the marketer um, or the seller, whatever the role yep. has been fired. The individual's also, been what's it, Yeah, what's yeah. like for the person that's doing the firing and the company, like what's the knock-on effect to them? Is it actually helping them in the short term or are they having to do a bunch of payouts for redundancies and things like that and then they're going to have to get back in the cash flow positive? Okay, no problem. Uh, I can, there's all, obviously everybody handles it a little bit differently. If this is your first time doing it or second time doing it, it beca- it's, it's, it is stressful for someone who's doing the laying off of your employee. Is anxiety inducing, you're going to lose sleep. You're going to talk to your peers and say, how have you done it? Do you have any pro tips? You're going to go to HR and say, you know, what's the process? And candidly, I have rarely seen HR do this well. I, mm. I, I, I say to my friends, I said, I've had one good HR person in my entire career. And for all those HR professionals listening, I'm sorry, but it's true. You give us crap advice. You give us like, you know, prep us, tell us if they ask you this question, this is what you do. This is the order of events. This is how you do it. I'm going to, you know, I'm HR person. Let me deliver, you know, the key points. So you get in, make the news and you can get out. You know, we need to have witnesses, right? Because, you know, we don't want to be sued and have things that are misrepresented. The whole process needs to be understood. HR could do a much better job on that, and they don't. So that's the first part. If I'm giving you any coaching, if you lay off people, make sure you have a complete FAQ from your key people. Vet it with your CFO. Vet it with your CEO on exactly the process, exactly the answers to the questions you can anticipate, et cetera. That's the first part. That will give you some comfort. Second part is a responsible manager would have done like what I did 15 months ago, which is said, you should be prepared. You know, if it ever comes down, it's not because of you, because I love you. I like you. I respect you. You're talented. You're gifted. That's why you're on my team. If I had a problem with you, I would have pipped you or let you go. If you're here, you're capable, you're good. But, you know, economics are economics, layoffs are layoffs. And if you, we have to let people go, you know, you're, you're at risk, just like I'm at risk. And I even tell that to people, I said, I'm actually somewhat more at risk because my salary is more than your salary. So there you go. But you prep them. So there's no surprises. 
So then when it finally happens, you just do it with compassion. It sounds stupid. And how I tend to do it is I, I do a one-two uh, punch. I partner with HR and I'll simply say, and the call comes on, I'll say something like the effect of, as you know, you know, this, I said, if you're seeing me in HR here, you kind of know what's happening. As you know, the economy is not great. You know, we're, 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 we're missing our numbers. We're bleeding cash. And unfortunately we have to make some cuts and unfortunately you're impacted. This is nothing personal. This is just a business decision for the survival of the company. Based on that, I'm going to hand it over to HR. They're going to walk you through your package, your severance. We've tried to be fair. If you have any other questions, just let me know. At that point in time, depending on your company, I would actually leave and let the HR person do it, or I would stay there. But I would also say to them, I would say, and you're going to have questions, um, you know, why was it me, what have you? Uh, it wasn't you, but you're going to think about this. You're going to process it. Call me after. Call me later today. Call me tomorrow. Call me next week. I'll answer all your questions, but I can assure you it wasn't used performance. And they'll, like 99 times out of 100, they'll all go, yeah, I know. Because they they know it's coming. They know that they're at risk. And they understand it's not personal if you set the stage. Um, the challenge you have when you're doing this is what you just alluded to is the package. That's where it gets crazy. And I, you know, at Agorapulse, we're a Paris-based European company. Right. So the differences between Europe and North America or differences between Canada, where I am, and the U.S. are staggering. I see too many of my American friends say, boom, I got laid off and I got one week severance. I've had multiple CMOs come to me, get laid off. CMOs, people with decades of experience and say they got like two week severance. And I'm like, are you serious? You should be getting like six months severance. So um that's the staggering point. The U.S. is very much black and white, boom, you're gone. So if you're American, you should definitely always have a rainy day fund to fund yourself at least for three months in anticipation of that ever happening. Canada is a little better. It tends to be kind of one week per year, maybe a maximum, you know, one to two months. Uh, Europe is crazy, crazy. It's, it's, it's like mind-blowing. I'll give you a story there in a second. But uh, yet it, it really varies. In, in France, this is how it works in France. I'm not making this up. So if I'm going to lay you off in France, I'm going to send you a registered letter that says, uh, we're thinking of doing layoffs and you're, gonna, you're potentially going to be impacted. Okay, now, I'm going to cut to the chase. There's a good chance that we already know it's going to happen, but this is the process we have to follow. We're going to meet in our offices in one week's time. So now for the next week, the employee's freaking out. But this is the process you have to follow. Now you meet live and in person and you say, yep, here's the numbers. We're thinking of letting you go. Um, so now we've talked about it live one-on-one. You had the letter, the notification. Now we've talked about it live. We'll let you know our decision in 48 hours. I'm not making this up, folks. So another two days goes by and then you meet and they're like, okay, yes, we're letting you go. It's a layoff. And now in France and in Germany and other places, I have to give you a notice period, not a severance, a notice period. So I'm going to let you go in one month, two months, three months. And then after that, I'm going to give you severance pay. So it, like in France, wow. let somebody what a contrast go. contrast like between US and EU and France. Huge, huge difference. Never realized that. No, it's staggering. So yeah, for always have a rainy day fund, kids. Uh, you'll Because I, I got hammered. I got hammered. I got laid off back in 2006 when I was a, a CMO and I got, uh, I, I was working for an American company. I was in a Canadian office and they let me go with no severance, which is illegal in Canada. You can't do that, but they were determined it was no severance. And uh, so there I was, I had two young kids laid off. 
I didn't have sufficient rainy day funds and I had no severance. Welcome to life. That mistake never happened again. And for the record, I sued their sorry asses and four years later, I got my severance. So there you go. Got it. No, I appreciate you openly sharing that, man. I didn't realize kind of the US was so different to EU. Obviously, me being in the UK, I'm only familiar with what's going on with me. Yeah. Um, and the rest of my team and colleagues and stuff. So it's, yeah, appreciate you kind of giving us insights there. So we go on a bit off tangent, but I think that's useful to set the scene and also useful for anyone tuning in that doesn't understand what's going on in the wider organization to give some perspective because um, I find it quite useful as well. Why is it that when things get rough, that nearly always marketing gets the cut, gets the snip first? Well, like we talked about, it's because of the budget. People, think about it. It's, it's, it's personal, right? Okay, so <clears throat> imagine you, Sam, you have to let me go. And you have two pots. You have, I can let Daryl go because Daryl's got a salary and that'll save X dollars. But that means I have to have that conversation with him. And it's he's going to look at I'm going to look at you, Sam, with my puppy dog eyes. I'm going to do this. I might shed a tear. I might, I might do this. And you have to do this. You have to break the news. And I'm like, can you tell my wife and my dog, please? Because I'm a mess. And this, I'm, I'm making fun here, folks, but this is, the re- this is the truth, right? This is how people react. Or, or I could say, Sam, there's the budget. There's the program spent, all right? See, so now you don't have to let me go. You can just reduce the budget. What are you going to do? You're going to say, I'm reducing the budget. The reality is that's a mistake. Uh, so that's why marketing gets hit first. The rest of the organization is just staff. Unless you're a manufacturing entity where you have assets like presses and whatnot, and milling machines, et cetera. The rest of the organization, just people cost. That's it. Marketing's got you know, 10, 15, 20% of the overall revenues for, for, but for campaigns, for those ads, for those trade shows, for the billboards. And so they cut there first. That's why marketing always gets hits. And then once they cut that, then they realize, oh, shit, we cut the program spend, but we, we still have the people cost. But the people aren't busy anymore because they don't have enough money to spend to do the programs. So now we have to reduce marketing. And then what happens is they realize, oh, shit, we did that. And now there's not enough leads coming in. So now we, we, we have too many sales reps. So now we need to put the pressure on the sales reps and say, you need to do new more activity and you need to do more outbound calling. But they've been living at yeah. the trough of inbound. So they're not good at doing outbound. So then, you know, three months later, like, okay, we have to cut sales. And welcome to Revenue 101. The last thing I'll say about why we're here, I meant, meant to mention this, is because too many companies today are solely focused on new logo acquisition. And the reality is when you're in this economy and you can look at people who are doing well, companies who are doing well in this economy are not doing well because they continue to get new logos. They're doing well because they shift their revenue mix from new logos being really high in the good times to customer expansion being really high in the bad times. So if you don't have anything in your price list that you can upsell or cross-sell, then you're screwed. So my advice to you, if you're a founder, you're in leadership, you have a, you're in charge of the product roadmap, is create things now that can be upsold or cross-sold so that you can then expand your install base um, and, and survive these times. So that's the rule number. That's the, the most important takeaway for anybody in tech. Good man. Good man. So we've set the scene quite well. Now, if anyone tuning in is a marketer, is someone that's 
in an organization and they're thinking, shit, this is scared the hell out of me. Really. I, never want this. Me, yes. I never want this to happen to me. I want to make sure that my role, whether I stay here, whether I move on to another organization is going to be pretty secure. In your opinion, what are some of the top things? And I'll share some of my thoughts as well. What are some of the top things that you can do? Let's look at it from perhaps a marketing exec's point of view to make sure that your position is going to be safe for the longer term. Okay. So I'll, I'll preface the whole, I'll, I'll give you the answer, but I'll preface everything by saying you can do all this and still be shot, just so you know. Um, so, but what you'll be is you'll, instead of being shot in the first round, you'll be shot in the fourth round, like my friend was. So that's all it is. So there you go. Okay. <clears throat> if you go back to the 15 months I, I gave my team, what were the things they could have done then? Right. When you see, you can see it coming up on the horizon, dark, dark clouds in the sky and it's coming towards you. All right. So then the big couple thing is uh, go back, revisit your LinkedIn profile. All right. Reoptimize it. If you don't have a great LinkedIn profile, then physically go and buy. I, I always tell the story. I bought a book. It's still sold on Amazon. An ebook cost you like 10 bucks. It was called how to write a killer LinkedIn profile. And the reason you do that is because you want to stand out from the crowd. Whenever you're looking for a job. Second reason you do that is you want to get found by recruiters when they're looking to find another person, right? So if you're because if you're at risk, they could find you and say, "Well, this is other company over here, much safer industry," and you could apply, you know, to shift careers, shift companies. So you want to do that. Second thing is uh, you want to start building your network. So if you've been kind of like, "Ah, I really haven't had time to build my network because I've been busy," you can get a gun. You hang out with Sam Dunning because he knows everybody in the industry. Just go to his connections and, and follow them all, and then send Sam gobs of money and gifts to be his buddy. So, but building the network is huge. Third is make yourself visible because again, if they're looking at um, where do I cut, what you need to understand today <clears throat> is one of the biggest way to sell anymore is not through traditional prospecting or traditional demand gen like pay-per-click. It's all, it's, it's actually all through word of mouth and referral and word of mouth and referral happens by sharing great content. And I'm like, holy smokes, I, I, what I hear from me, from people all the time is like, I see you all the time. I'll my LinkedIn, I see you, you know, I see you nonstop. So if, the, and if I'm waving the company flag, hey, it's Daryl Pro here, CMO at Agorapol, it's the world's best social media platform. Let me tell you today about whatever. If they see me waving the company flag, they're less likely to let me go to let somebody else go because I'm building brand, I'm building awareness, I'm building referrals. So that's, that's the first part. But the good news here is if you're adding value, that also makes you very attractive to the next prospective employer. So this is a win-win. That's when the clouds are dark. Uh, as it's getting closer and maybe more urgent, what I would strongly suggest you do is communicate all the time to the key stakeholders. This is what I'm working on. This is the impact we had. Um, is there anything else you want me to do? We tend to get really busy in our day-to-day -day tasks. We don't communicate. You have to be proactive, intentional, weekly summaries. This is what we accomplished this week. This is what's happening next week. Yada, yada, yada. Include people in the decisions. If they feel like you're really committed and you're working hard because they can see it because they're talking to you and they're hearing you, you're less likely to be in the chopping block. Next thing you need to do is you need to measure yourself. So you need to actually, you need to do the math. It says, because I did this, this resulted in this much pipeline or this many closed mm. deals. All right. And you need to basically justify your position. So if you can just, if you simply say, well, we made a lot of awareness and therefore we have more website traffic. So I assume I'm doing great. You're going to get shot. Whereas if you can say, no, I can show you exactly this is how much pipeline I wrote, I created from, you know, prospecting or from pay-per-click or what have you. And this is how many deals close. And this is the revenue. We spent 10,000. We generated $40,000, right? 
if you do that nice little dashboard and consult that often, share the numbers with them often, 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 you are not going to be let go. Because basically what you're doing is you're making a business case for yourself. So you're being proactive. You're being intentional about your communication to make sure they know you exist and you're a great team player and you're good for the company better than your peers. Remember, it's a classic. If a bear is chasing me, I don't need to be fastest runner. I need to be faster than you. So if you communicate more, it's the same analogy. And the last thing, measure and show them the impact you're having. That's it. If you still get killed after that, you did everything right. That's solid. That's solid. There's not much I can add to that, really. So recap those five. Optimize your LinkedIn profile. Build, start building a network. So if shit does hit the pan or you need to call on your peers, you've got kind of a solid community there that you can call upon. You can ask a favor because you've already possibly given them a favor or helped them out in the past. Number three, make yourself visible by sharing content, whether that's LinkedIn, podcast, YouTube, another channel that your prospects are potentially seeing you active on. Communicate regularly with your stakeholders. Make sure you're sharing what's going on, what's happening, the updates, and measure proof of results with numbers, actual impact on revenue. Um, probably one of the most important ones. The only things I could add to that really is bringing new ideas to the table, i.e. if you've tested a new channel, perhaps in the marketing perspective and you've perhaps just been doing it on the sideline or something like that and it's been working well. So you think, look, let's, I don't know, start an email list or let's start a LinkedIn series or a little podcast or something like that. I've come up with an idea. I've actually lined up 10 guests that fit our ideal client profile and I'm ready to bring them on to the show. Are you happy for us to kind of brand this for our company, something like that? if you can bring these kind of ideas that are outside the box but are likewise quite low cost to produce and you've already done some of the legwork off your own back if you're showing leadership that they're going to think shit this guy actually or this girl actually knows what they're doing um they've brought ideas that are probably going to build our brand and drive some pipeline over time then that's they're, they're a real big asset um yeah. and they also know you could probably do that by yourself like they want to keep you um and apart from that learning like one of the biggest things i can add is learning on the side so what i mean by that is rather than just doing your nine to five start something yourself whether that's a marketing experiment that's where i was going to go next nice get a man. side hustle get yeah, a yeah. side hustle so yes we'll, we'll go into that as well because i think there's a deeper conversation around side hustles and i know some organizations allow them some don't but we'll talk about them regardless um but yeah we'll, we'll talk about this in a bit but yeah learning on the side like one of the most impactful i've things i've done as a marketer as a business owner is run this podcast interview people that are smarter than me in certain departments and steal their ideas and see what works see what doesn't for me listen to audiobooks i'm a terrible reader so i consume things like podcasts or audiobooks in the car so instead of listening to radio i can just get new ideas new thoughts new insights and then put them into play so just take just doing a little bit extra than what's involved in your nine to five has quite a big impact has a lot more impact than you think really huge and and the and the the one overriding thing to do everything we've just talked about here is you have to be intentional about, about making time to do it because the number right. one reason you don't do it is because you don't have time you're too busy you're too busy and that's that's a, an absolute killer all right time block if you have to time in the morning time in the afternoon whatever whether it be to create content to be on social to have a meeting with a long lost acquaintance just to catch up you got to be intentional. So it's an investment in yourself and it's investment in your own job security. And uh, trust me, it's a lot. 
better to do that than to have a conversation with a life partner to say, yeah, we, I just got laid off and now we got to scramble. Mm. Just before we get into kind of side hustles and stuff like that, what are your thoughts on expanding the sector that you specialize in? So to give you some context, like what I saw a lot when the layoffs start, first started happening and I'd see loads of people posting on LinkedIn that they're open to work was a lot of kind of field marketers. Um, I think they're called community marketers and uh-huh. events marketers. Those were some of the big jobs that I saw get cut. So I guess my question to you is, should marketers look to be less specialist, i.e. in one sector like that, and more rounded in terms of their expertise, i.e. they might have some knowledge in SEO, they might have some knowledge in website optimization, copywriting, um, paid ads, um, and they might have a general idea of all these things rather than just lock themselves into one area. Is that more valuable or not? So it's interesting, right? So specialists will earn more money than a generalist will. So the, you'll hear me out, folks. A specialist will earn more money than a generalist will. Um, but a specialist will hit a ceiling. They'll only be able to go so far. Um, what's your example of that? Somebody who's like an SDR rock star can become an SDR manager, maybe a director of SDRs. Um, they're a specialist. But boom, that's as far as they're going to go. They're never going to be, it's rare they'll be a VP of sales with only SDR experience. So the beauty of doing what Sam just said, which is expanding, <clears throat> is it actually will pay huge dividends for you long-term in your career. Because then if you're a generalist, a couple of things happen. One, you're building more skills. Two, you can actually have more intelligent conversations with your colleagues, with your peers, with management. Because now you have context, you have experience, you have uh, storytelling, you have reference points of, you have stats, you have data, you have examples, all that wonderful stuff. <clears throat> Three, it gives you a better career uh, trajectory because now you can go beyond the SDR manager to become, you know, head of sales because you've done SDRs, you've done sales, you've done marketing, you've done pay-per-click, you know, whatever it might be. Um, you can become a revenue person, you can become a growth person, you become a GTM expert, whatever it might be. So the generalist thing is good because if you're desperate for money or some side hustles, then you're basically looking for, you know, I'll do anything, you tell me, so it opens it up the, the possibilities for you. Um, but yeah, it also, at the same time, it does give you bigger career trajectories. So it's a good thing to do. I think you should do it. You know, like I always look at the one thing, I'll use an example of, of you know, expanding. I look at the role of the CRO, the chief revenue officer. And I don't know how anybody can be a chief revenue officer who hasn't done sales and marketing. I just don't know how you can do it. You need both skills. And ideally, customer success. Two, all three skills. If I only did one role, I'm going to fail as a CRO. So expanding that footprint. Mm. And that, sometimes that means in your career, taking an attentional detour. For the next two years, I'm going to go over here and do this role. And then I'm going to come back because now I've got that. So absolutely, it's a good investment in yourself, an investment in your career. But it, it does mean it, it could also be a distraction. So, you know, be intentional is really my advice to you. Yeah, that's smart. And you've done both, right? Haven't you? You've been a CRO, you've been a CMO. So you've seen MVP both sides sales, of the carried a bag, the whole nine yards. Yes, I've done both. It's the white hair. Been around a long, long time. <laughs> Good man. So let's get to side hustles. Um, I suppose first and foremost, do you think that in the B2B space, because that's what we're focused on, sellers, marketers, is it a smart idea to have one? Is it a distraction? Is it useful in case shit hits the fan? Like, What are your thoughts? Yeah, great question. Um, yes, I think it's incredibly smart to have one. 
you touched on it and it's a great point. You absolutely need to make sure it's a, it's allowed at your company. The culture, the culture of the company allows it. Agora Pultz, tons of us have side hustles and it's, and it, you know, and I, and I think that's the modern day, you know, that's something you can ask about before you join a company. You can like talk to, I, I don't know if I'd ask my, you know, the, the hiring manager, Hey, can I have a side hustle? That <laughs> may not come, but I they would won't. reach out to some of the other call, the other employees in the company and say, what's the culture like? Do they allow side hustles? And that way you can, you'll know. Um, at Gorpals, we're fine with that because they, we treat you like adults. Just do your day job. And after that, I don't care what you do. If you're doing something in the evenings or on weekends that makes you extra money, hey, more power to you. Because ultimately, this is how we view it. You're learning skills that you're going to bring back to us, which is a win-win, right? You're making more money, so you're going to keep your day job. Plus, you got this extra hustle, uh, et cetera. But the minute that becomes a distraction, your side hustle becomes more important than your day job, that's when we're going to basically warn you and we're going to let you go. Just, you know, I think you should do it. Answer your question. Uh, and the reason I think you should do it is because you may find out that you actually like doing these side hustles more than your main job. Too many people have become solopreneurs uh, because of that. Um, you may find that the side hustle outpaces your, your day job as far as income goes. That's great. But in the case of a layoff, at least you've got an alternative uh, revenue stream, right? So like I, I do side hustles today. I do I do video production. I do event hosting. I do moderation. I do voiceover work. Um, I I can imagine so, you doing voiceover work, actually. Can you? So there you go. Got, got the right tone for it. I appreciate that. So that that's it doesn't affect my day job, but it, and and I don't now for me, I don't invest a ton of time seeking it out. It kind of comes to me, but you know, everybody, you have to build up a book of business too. So definitely do it. I th- but if you, I want to be clear here. If you choose not to, because you're prioritizing, say, family time or relationships over that. That's okay, right? It's you, you don't have to, but if you're worried about the layoff, having a few more pokers in the fire really is advantageous in case you do get impacted by a reduction in staff. Yeah, it's one of those things, right? Isn't it? It's not going to be for everyone, and it's something you could start quite small. I.e., on LinkedIn, you make a lead magnet and you charge like ten bucks for this in-depth, detailed PDF guide or video series that's focused on your area of expertise maybe that's video production maybe that's seo maybe that's a specific element of paid ads whatever the heck it is you slowly build it out charge people 10 20 bucks whatever build out your email list and then you gradually ramp it up and maybe build other products other services off the back of it that's just one idea exactly you could do a podcast you could do a video series whatever um and then you can whilst you're doing it you learn at the same time because you're kind of learning kind of how to set this up how to sell stuff how to build an audience, how to build an email list, how to build a following on LinkedIn, perhaps. Um, you realize if you actually like it or if it's just consuming time, you're not making any cash, you need to move on to something else. And like I say, it might just be that you decide you want to spend more time with your family and focus on your main job, or it might decide that this thing gets big, it blows up, and you want to eventually start your own biz. So, yeah, I think there's only good that can come of it from my experience anyway. Agreed. Um, and learning, so... Yeah, like you say, check check with your company because you don't want to get yourself fired for no reason. Um, all right, we've covered some good ground. I think the only other thing I want to kind of touch on is if there's anything else that we've not discussed really that you think marketers perhaps or founders should be doubling down on um, just to make sure that they're going to be all good through the ups and downs that are going to be no doubt ahead of them. The one thing that's it's hot right now, and, and it comes especially comes to doubling down, <clears throat> is the whole concept of go to market GTM. Now, 
I will tell you this. When I say GTM to most people, they all go, yep. And they, they nod their head and they, they give me that knowing look like they're in on it and they know what's going on. But the reality is what they're really doing is they, they don't know what it means. And they're simply saying in their mind, they're saying, okay, I have a sales plan before. Now I'm going to have a GTM plan. But it's, it's just a sales plan with another acronym. Or I have a marketing plan. This is my strategy to drive you know new demand or new awareness. And I'm going to change the word marketing to GTM. Now I have a GTM plan, but it's still just a marketing plan. That's not what GTM is. GTM is, is a framework. It's a framework to solve business problems. And, it, and to me, it's, it's, it's like the last time in the revenue world, we had a framework that, that changed the way we did things and unified all the revenue contributors was when Serious Decisions launched the Demand Waterfall. For the first time ever, we had this concept of what an MQL was, what an SQL was, what an SAL was, et cetera. And that evolved over time. But before that, we had no framework that united us. GTM's the same way. GTM's about saying, what's the problem we're trying to solve? Not what's your sales plan, not what's your marketing plan. What's the company's problem? And, you know, I'll reference gtmpartners.com. Their homepage, they have like 15 common problems. Right there, you can see it. It may be that, you know, we're like the last one invited to a deal or we're always being reactive as opposed to proactive when it comes to, you know, product roadmap and direction or what have you, or we have a huge churn problem You know, the list goes on. Hmm. So those are the problems that are affecting the company. Then you work backwards. You say, okay, so what are the motions that we can use to address the problem? And there's six motions that they've defined. There could be more, but you know, there's an outbound motion. If you're a sales, there's an inbound motion, marketing, there's a partner motion, there's an event motion, there's a product led motion, and there's a community motion. So I think those are the six. And what you do is you're going to say, okay, so then to solve that problem, we need a combination of one or more of those motions. And then you break down what the actual tactics are in those motions to solve that problem. So it really gives you focus and a structure and a shared framework. If I am today trying to navigate my way out of this economic situation, protect my job, not get laid off, um, or expand my, my skill set, maybe do more side hustles, become more of a generalist, I would double down on GTM. It's a shared framework. It gets everybody at the table who's in charge of revenue talking about it. It elevates your position in the company because you're being more strategic now. You're not talking about open rates and emails. You're talking about the issues. <clears throat> That's what I would do. GTM. Lots of books out there. I mentioned gtmpartners.com. I know there's lots of communities. Pavilion's got a, uh, a GTM practice. Rev Genius has got a GTM practice. You can buy uh, the book called Move, written by Sangram Vajray and Brian Brown. Um, and just to familiarize yourself with it, lots of great free research at gtmpartners.com. Uh, I'm advocating for everybody here in the world, but that's what I would do. I would get that knowledge there, would use that framework, start those conversations. It would elevate yourself and probably stop you from being laid off. Nice. Sounds like some good learning. Daryl, very much appreciate your thoughts, sir. Enjoyed the conversation. Enjoyed the back and forth as always. So appreciate you coming back on. And with that said, please do tell us more about how everyone tuning in can learn from you, connect with you, or anything you want to send their way. The usual call to action. Well, folks, by now, if you haven't figured out already, I'm on LinkedIn. You can reach me at LinkedIn slash in slash Daryl Prail. So please do that. You can also email me, me at DarylPrail.com. Um, and of course, if you need a great social media platform, check out Agorapulse, agorapulse.com. You're going to love it because, hey, social media is the number one channel for all revenue-driven people, not pay-per-click, not events. So if you don't have a social media plan, you're screwed. But if you do, then you need to administer it, agorapulse.com. Sam, as usual, you're amazing. Thank you so much for having me. 
No worries, dude. Always a pleasure and only occasionally a chore. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, you kindly. Enjoy that one. I like it. That's good. Slight, slight, slight twist on a, an old classic. But um, yeah, thanks once again. As always, if you enjoyed today's episode, a quick rating or review on your podcast channel goes a long way. Or if on YouTube, a subscribe helps us grow. And we'll catch you on the next one for more no BS, actionable B2B marketing tips to grow your business, hopefully grow your revenue. Catch you soon.